All right, Frank, before we get into this week's episode, let's give a little update to our amazing listeners. First and foremost, we love all of you. Second, um, we got some emails recently, and we've both been promoting our applications and also um, putting out some new updates and doing some promotional stuff. Uh, iCircuit 3D came out, and I believe that uh, it's taken off like wildfire, Frank. <laughs> it has. It has. I've been very lucky. You know, uh, we're both always nervous when we're releasing new apps. And I think I said on the last couple shows, everyone ha- uh, welcomed it very kindly. They had very nice things to say. And its sales have been good, which is even more important to me. I don't care if people hate it as long as the sales are good. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but it's been going very well. And yeah, I've been doing promotional artwork so much. In fact, I was live streaming coding on the app. And I realized I've been doing so much promotional artwork on the app that I've actually forgotten how some parts of the code in the app work because it's been so long since I've actually been doing the coding. (laughs) I've just been doing documentation and screenshots and all that kind of stuff. That's pretty cool. I mean, it's it's nice to get your app out there, but then it's also nice to take like a beat, right? And just sort of admire that, hey, my app is out there. And in fact, I was releasing an app update this week and I had you test it first and foremost. Thank you so much for helping me test my application um, on your 18 VMs of, of, of uh, <laughs> Mac OS, which very smart, by the way, what Frank does and what I should have done is installed VMware player, VMware player or whatever, Fusion. Fusion. And, and then you can make like a snapshot of your current machine before you upgrade your machine. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. that's how you can test. Yeah, uh, creating Mac images is very difficult. (laughs) Apple does not make it easy. You are legally allowed to run um, your operating system in an additional VM, especially if you're a developer. It's in the license. It's all good. But they don't make it easy. (laughs) So um, there are newer versions of VMware that can uh, restore from your recovery partitions, I believe is one way to do it. restoring from backups, snapshots. There's a few different ways to do it. Um, Some work, some don't, if I'm thoroughly honest. But once you get a working image, you're good to go. Just make duplicates of that and keep it around because uh, what happened? So you were building on Big Sur, but you were afraid it wasn't going to work on any of the older Macs, right? Yeah, I was putting in these in-app purchases like we talked about last week or two weeks ago or whatever. And yeah, it was the first time of building an application with a new version of Xcode and a new version of Mac OS and putting it out. And I was just like, you know, it'd be nice. Like, you know, when I have my iOS, I have my my slew of iOS and Android devices that at least has a few versions. You know, I have iOS 12, iOS 13, iOS 14. I have... Um, you know, and you have emulators and simulators that you can do that. And I have a bunch of Android versions, like two or three. And when I'm serious about it and it's, and it's, I'm feeling like, oh, this is a hefty update or a brand new application. I like to test it on multiple OSs. But for my Mac app, I was like, I don't even know how to install it. Like installing a Windows application is, is pretty tricky. Same problem with Windows, right? It's just kind of updates and you'd have to do the same thing. You'd have to create VM snapshots of it somehow magically to get different OS versions. So you luckily um, were able to grab my source code and recompile for me. Yeah, which is always tricky, right? Like, but yours is open source. So I guess you've had it's been proven that it can compile on other machines, but not all my apps compile on other people's machines. So I was like, I don't know, James, I don't really want to get the source code, but that's what I ended up doing. Now, if I was a better Apple developer, I would know how to re sign packages and binaries, mm. but that is 
a big hole in my knowledge. I am really bad at signing things. And every time I think I've learned exactly how to do it, like from the command line, you know, using the code sign tool, all that kind of stuff, I fail every time. (laughs) I can never get these stupid binaries to run. So just recompiling it, signing it yourself as a part of the build process is always easier. If it compiles, got lucky. Yeah, and, good, um, good job programming. Yeah, if it compiles. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it, it it worked. It's awesome. So good to go. I'm very excited about it. I just got updates out for um, for my stream timer on Mac and on Windows. In fact, I did another update to, to the Mac version. I didn't have you test it because I felt so confident in the compilation steps. It totally worked. But sticking with Mac and sticking with iCircuit 3D, I believe that the reason you're creating promotional stuff is because somebody, ding, 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 Frank Bell, got a special email from Apple. Ooh, I did. I did. These are the wonderful emails you get from them when they want to promote your app a little bit in the app store. And it can actually come in different ways. I remember we were talking about this years ago (laughs) because I think Apple did it for Kelka. And I think we did a little bit of talking. They did a whole story thing, right? Right. It was all like expose. It was like a deep dive thing. Right. But this happens so rarely that I always forget like how to do it, what artwork they need, what's going to happen, all that kind of stuff. So it feels like a fresh new experience every single time. And so the way it works is they'll send you an email and they'll say, we want these additional pieces of promotional art. This is beyond the screenshots that you've uploaded. This is beyond basically everything else you've ever done because they have some very explicit templates that they want you to fill in to provide the necessary artwork for specific parts of the app store they're going to be in. So I don't know if you've ever really noticed this in App Store Connect because my eyes certainly glaze over it, but there is a promotional artwork tab there in um, uh, App Store Connect for your app. And when you click there at the top, it'll say whether Mm -hmm. any has been requested for your app. And they'll email you to tell you if that's happened or not. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you oh, see that's why there? I've never seen it because I've never gotten an email because my apps aren't <laughs> that important, apparently. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> It'll happen, James. It'll happen. Um, especially in my stream timer. It's going to explode. But uh, no, the trick it's not, is... not going to happen. <laughs> it's going to happen. Um, you know what annoying, super annoying thing about it, though? All their templates and they want the way they want you to submit the information is in Photoshop document format, PSD. And you know which oh app gosh. out there can make and read those files? One app called Photoshop. And it's very expensive. Photoshop. Photoshop. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. So <laughs> I had um, I had a friend helping me out because when I did this for Kelka, I actually signed up for an entire year of Adobe junk. And I was like, never again. Um, they have like cancellation policies where they charge you if you try to like get out of your software contract and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, never paying for software from them ever again and uh so i had to have a friend help me out with the whole file format thing this is a big deal because you know i think that one thing not to be overstated is that this is a big deal like i said it five seconds ago but it's a big deal because you know how many people a day are opening the app store and how many people are going to that app tab or are on the today widget you know home and are going to see what maybe whatever it is, how many deep it is. I mean, who knows how long it'll be there for? Who knows when it will go up? Yeah, but it's kind of a huge deal. So I want to say one congratulations, Frank, because 
like when this happened with Calca, this was a ginormous deal, I thought. Uh, and I think that this is spectacular. Just it's, it's amazing. And I, you know, when you put out good quality software, like you do, and you put a lot of time and a lot of effort, and a lot of energy into it, we talk about a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. You know, when we do this podcast, we're literally talking about the things that we're working on every single day. And a lot of that goes into the things that we're building and the stuff that Frank is putting out, just like this crazy app store promotion stuff. And I think it's a huge deal. I'm saying it's a huge deal, Frank. Uh, and I agree with you. <laughs> it, um, it, uh, the app store is huge. Uh, we were talking before this podcast about how many podcasts there are out there, how many apps there are out there. It's really hard to differentiate yourself. Um, I named iCircuit 3D, iCircuit 3D mostly because I wanted to like SEO off of myself, you know, like it's hard to differentiate. I've, I've got a name that some people recognize. I might as well stick with that name. And that's really just an attempt to differentiate yourself. But, uh, Calca, when it gets promoted by Apple, its sales go up 50 to a hundred X somewhere between there. Like this isn't like it's double or triple it's a lot so you can tell how big the store is if promoting an app increases its sales that much so it's yeah it's it's super awesome i don't know if that will happen for isergood 3d and apple is super coy about like hey we're thinking about promoting you no guarantees no no time frame we won't tell you when it happens any of that stuff but you know you you have to pay to play. <laughs> so, uh, hopefully they'll, yeah, hopefully they'll do it. Now I want to ask you one other question, which is, are you planning any updates to the app in the preparation that your app will be promoted and more people will be downloading it? Um, no, but I was pushing really hard to get the Mac version out. Um, but no, I can't do features that fast. It turns out this is a really big, complicated app, and it's just not like that. <laughs> you know, if there was a few more one-day features to throw into it, I probably would have because I spent so much time on it. <laughs> What's another day or two? Um, so I've done all the, I think I've done a lot of the easy features already. But that's smart. I don't think I would do that because I, one thing I noticed is you get a lot more support emails when a lot more people buy your app, right? Mm. So it's not a great time to put risky new features in. You kind of want a really stable version of the app out there because the most people ever are going to see it all of a sudden. And just watching my own support queue, I'm like, oh, gosh, that bug in Calca that I haven't fixed in a year guess what happens when a lot of new people get the app? A lot of new people are frustrated by that bug. So I'm like, okay, got to fix that bug now um, because it's just been amplified by all the new customers. Yeah, it's kind of bittersweet, right? With with more sales comes more customers, comes more support tickets. I mean, literally, we were talking about Zencaster. We, we record a podcast and there's tons of a new rollout is new beta, open beta with video and all this stuff. And right now, literally on their support tickets it's like we are so busy with our current release we will get back to you soon <laughs> you know like like uh okay like all right i, I guess they'll get back to me soon <laughs> sometime <laughs> it makes perfect sense i mean this is like the best kind of problem to have mm -hmm. more support means more customers great you know i'm fine happy happy um but 
you can't reply to everyone. It's just impossible because um, they just keep accumulating. And it turns out um, I sleep at night, but people keep sending email at night somehow. Like the world seems to be daylight in other parts mm. that I'm not in. I don't know. I haven't quite figured it out if the earth is flat and all that. But somehow the emails keep coming. <laughs> um, but that's fun too um, because a lot of it are feature requests and it's like new ideas and I always kind of love feature requests, but that's when you say, those are the easy ones to reply to. Like, that's a great idea. I'll super duper try <laughs> to get that in. What's your response for, to the feature request? Um, I don't know. It depends. You know, I definitely say that I'm like, Oh, thank you so much. You know, I'll put that on my backlog, blah, blah, blah. Right. I think that's the, the key of it is in, you know, we've talked about it is you can't feature creep your own product with, every single thing that every single person wants. I will say though, I am totally doing that in my stream timer. Like I literally did, that. I literally did that for a lot of people is sometimes people, I mean, people have great ideas though. That's the thing is I don't want to belittle people, you know, because, and just say that because sometimes I'm just like, wow, I wouldn't have even thought of that. Like one thing in my stream timer, someone reached out to me to do, which was, um, they're, they're, um, doing a timer for a soccer match. Okay. And that needs to count up to 90 because soccer matches are 90 minutes long. And the issue that they have is that how I format date time, like the time is I format it with hour, hour, minute, minute, second, second, which is 60 seconds, 60 minutes, you know, 24 hours. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and that's how, and then you do days and just, that's just the normal string format time span on it. And they're like, it'd be really nice if you could do total minutes, right? You could do total minutes, total seconds or whatever in there. I was like, Oh, that's really smart. I was like, that would be cool. However, I'm going to have to provide a drop down and say, you know, use custom, which is the default or use these type of predefined, you know, file format out. I'm just like, that's a great feature. I don't know when I'm going to do it, but I definitely did put it on my backlog. Right. There's kind of like this, uh, joy when I'm like, well, that is a great idea. Right. And then I start thinking about how am I going to implement it? And then I'm like, oh, that's going to take way too long. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but sometimes people get really excited. Like in my stream timer, I had it so you could call a command via URLs, but it would, you could only send it to the, there's three countdowns. You could only control the first countdown. And they're like, oh man, it'd be really great if I could control all three countdowns. And I was like, Oh, I can literally add that feature in 10 seconds because yeah. I just need to see if it starts with countdown one, countdown two, countdown three, and then pass it to the correct view model because the infrastructure is there. So one night I was banging on it last week. I'm just like feature added, feature added, feature added. But that person that really wants it for that soccer match, right? I'm just like, I really want to do your feature, but I don't know when I'm going to be able to do it. So probably not. <laughs> Oh, it's hard. It's hard. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, okay, stepping aside from user features for a moment, I was thinking about what you were saying about did, did you change the app or at all, knowing that it's going to get promoted? No, but I did realize I need to change my apps or something to think about a little bit more in the future. When I was creating the promotional art for the app, I really realized that I need a better solution to screenshots than what I'm doing today. Mm. Um, it's always a trick, right? Um, finding the right poses for your app and filling them in with trick data, example data, whatever you want to say, promotional data and all that kind of stuff, um, which I've gotten better at. 
uh, my apps usually have examples in them. So I can open an example, move the camera around a little, take the screenshot. It's a pretty simple setup that I have going there. But in the case of Apple, Apple promotional artwork, they really want scalable vector graphics with alpha channels and that kind of stuff. They don't want screenshots. Yeah. <laughs> That's not what they're here for. Ideally, Apple wants you to hire an artist and make a million illustrations of your app. You know, hand-drawn, cutesy little foxes running around a tree kind of stuff. Um, I didn't have that, and I didn't feel like hiring an artist at the time. So what I did was kind of coax my rendering engine and not even well, this, this ended up being a super manual process, but with a few tweaks here and there, I was able to simplify the process, but create alpha artwork, create nicely feathered um, edges on things so that you could get these layered compositions. What I realized was like, that's just good promotional artwork for myself. <laughs> I can use that on the website. I can use that in other places, mm -hmm. but I realized like in some apps, I need to think harder about, um, uh, screenshots and baking that into the engine a little bit more. Yeah, I had a friend that um, they were releasing a game on the Xbox uh, One during the Xbox Indie the Idea to Xbox program, and they were asked for one E three to give us a you know give us a thirty second clip. Right, they're going to use five seconds of it, but give us a thirty second clip of your game, like the most amazing thing ever, and like you need to be able to orchestrate and pivot the camera and do that stuff. So they spent like a month basically oh. like updating the engine, doing all this stuff, like fine tuning and getting everything so they could adjust the camera, move the camera, do all this stuff, like do all these and make these you know perfect things for literally five seconds of promotional video that would be out there. And it delayed, you know, it ends up delaying the game, but you're like, all right, well this five seconds is going to maybe be the most five important seconds of this promotional <laughs> thing. It's going to be on stage at the E3, all these big things. And yeah, you have to sort of think about that, but of course you don't know, right? Cause what if your app doesn't get promoted and you're like, oh my, I spent all this time. But of course, if you believe in the product and you believe this, there's, there's good possibilities. I mean, I think for my cadence, like, which is an app I'm and Island tracker, I'm super proud of. If I was to really invest deeper into it, I could really make just stunning artwork for the app store and sending videos and all this stuff. And it would take uh, more time, but it'd probably be worth it at the end of the day. But Frank, before we get into that, let's thank our brand new sponsor this week. I'm very excited about it. Is it a company called Web Adams? Webadams.in. This is a really cool piece of tech, and I'm so excited about it because it's something that I've had people ask me for a long time, which is how do I pull in JavaScript and run it inside of my Xamarin Forms applications? And how could I possibly run that stuff like in the browser? And that's what Web Atoms is. It's a JavaScript bridge for Xamarin Forms. It works with pure JavaScript, but also with TypeScript. This is really, really cool, okay? That means that you have the ability to sort of supercharge your Xamarin Forms apps with JavaScript and TypeScript full up. And you can run those applications on the web, um, on iOS and Android. Um, it additionally, since it's going to have this bridge, it'll enable you to do code push features, kind of like React Native does, but for your Xamarin Forms applications. Um, you can also have all of the Xamarin Forms controls run directly in the browser too, written 100% in TypeScript. This is a little bit different, right? A lot of people are like, hey, I want to run my XAML. I want to run my XAML all up on 
the browser, but you can write TypeScript for your Xamarin Forms applications. This is really, really neat. I love it. It also allows you to reuse existing C-sharp code in JavaScript, and you can integrate this into existing applications. So if you have a little bit of an existing app, you want to pull it in, you can do that. You can sort of think of it as MVVM in JavaScript for your Xamarin Forms applications. You can transition from C-sharp to JavaScript with Breeze, with one-way and two-way data binding, with all of that crazy dependency injection stuff that you know and love. You'll get instant refresh from web servers. You can reduce your deployment times, and you can even do side-by-side -side versioning. This is really, really neat tech because a lot of people are thinking about how they bridge the gap between web and desktop and mobile, and Web Atoms is a really cool piece of tech that are really, really I'm into and definitely say, check it out. What's cool is that they have an entire playground like you would expect for web tech right in the browser. You can go to webatoms.in slash play or just go to webatoms.in and check out all the cool things that they're developing. And thanks to Web Atoms for sponsoring this week's pod. Thank you, Web Atoms. And I did not know they were sponsoring us. And I think that is super cool. I love um, mixing languages like that and being able to break down those walls so you can make your app more internet-y. <laughs> yeah, I like the, really cool. yeah. Mm -hmm. Fancy tech, <laughs> the kind of stuff I used to be into. Well, Frank, I had something completely different that I wanted to talk about this week. I don't know if they have time for it, but it kind of revolves and I think is pertinent for Mac and probably iOS and iPad OS and maybe with iCircuit 3D. And it's something that has been out in the world of iOS for like a year and a half. And I don't know anything about it because I only write iOS applications with Xamarin Forms. So I don't know about this thing, but apparently it's the new thing that I should know. And it's called a scene delegate. Oh, a scene delegate. Yes, sir. I think we've alluded to this puppy before. Are you talking about a UI scene delegate, just so we're on the same page here? Yeah, it's like a UI responder, or it's a UI scene delegate mm -hmm. interface thing. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's it's the replacement for app delegate, but it also yeah. like works with an app delegate. I'm so confused, Frank. And I think it comes from Mac, but like now it's on iOS, and I'm so confused, and people are asking me questions. I don't know, and I need to ask an expert, and that is you, Frank. Oh, this is wonderful because I was just doing this myself. I was upgrading Continuous to support UI Scene Delegate. And yeah, it's a brand new feature. I think it came in iOS 13, if I had to guess. Do you happen to know? Whatever. Yeah. Around there. I believe so. And yeah. I believe so. And it's most important on what Apple calls iPad OS. <laughs> Developers, we don't really talk about iPad OS because but what it allows you to do is have multiple windows on iPads. Now, that is not the terminology Apple uses. It's the terminology everyone in the world uses, but it's not the terminology Apple uses. Because we've had okay. UI window forever, right? Our apps have UI window, but you couldn't ever... You yeah, there's technically, one. There's one yeah, window. There's one. One window. You could, technically, you could technically make a second, but... It didn't really appear unless you had a second monitor or something like that attached to the computer. Well, on iPad OS, you can now have properly distinct different 
I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to call them windows, but distinct windows um, in different uh, scenarios. So like one might be pinned to your messages app, or every time you open a photo, it might open a new window instead of reusing the same window. So one app could be, uh, could be in the task manager multiple times. And more importantly, James, <laughs> when you take that app and make a Catalyst version of it, or run it on an M1 Mac, those actually become distinct Mac windows properly. So it's your way using UIKit and iOS to create a multi-window application. But they call them scenes. <laughs> okay, so take everything I just said and replace the word window with scenes. And that's the trick. Not to be confused with scene kit. Correct. Just, yeah, I know. <laughs> they already had UI window. Uh, they were stuck. Okay. They were just stuck. <laughs> well, you would think they would just say hey, multiple windows, but they didn't want to have windows because it's windows. Okay, so let me get this straight. Is okay. I definitely understand it on a Mac, which is hey, here are multiple windows you can have. So, example, let's say I'm in Office and I want to, I'm on like a, a file browser inside of Office, right? I don't know if this is a real use case, but I'm using Office because I use it every day. And in Office, I open a document and it opens in a new window and that other window where I could select documents is still open. So I could open another window. So now I'm like editing two documents at the same time on a Mac. That makes sense. I guess you're saying on an iPad, I could also, and like the app side by side, like the, the two side by side app thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, number one, it'll come up in the app switcher. So let's say I have, I circuit on there and I open one circuit in one window and then I open another circuit in another window. I can use like the four finger swipe to bounce between them. I can go to the task manager by swiping up from the bottom or I can pin different things to the different windows and create those different scene kind of things. The important thing is now your app has multiple background foreground events on different scenes because you still have oh this kind of single app at a time, roughly, like on, on a device at a time. So instead of your app delegate being told you're coming to the foreground, you're going to the background, the app delegate's not told that anymore. Instead, for every single one of these scenes, windows, whatever you want to call them, you have the UI scene delegate, as you were discussing, and that has your coming to foreground, going to background stuff. So now you have to think that your app can get many of these foreground, background messages all the time. Okay. So what they've turned it into is like WPF. <laughs> is that right? I don't remember how uh, WPF handles multiple windows, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it it is simply that. It's multiple windows. They're called scenes um, for reasons. Uh, it's, it's really not too bad. The hardest part is if you want to support older iOS versus new iOS, the decision I made was if I'm going to support UI scene delegate, then I'm going to require iOS 13 simple because it's too hard to, it, it affects the low level architecture of your app. Now, if your app doesn't do anything with backgrounds, and if you can't think of any possible reason why anyone would ever want multiple windows in your app then don't do anything. It's fine. It's okay. fine. 
But if you okay. can think of okay. a scenario where someone would want multiple windows of your app, then I think it's completely worth doing. Good. And, and that, that kind of makes sense. Like in, you know, bigger, more complex applications, especially if you're focusing in on iPad. Like, I think this is what you've told me is it makes a lot of sense on iPad and that's the push. Does it do anything on normal iOS, like on my iPhone? Does it do stuff there too or no? I don't think so, but don't hold me to that with those plus size phones. Sometimes those get some iPad-y features. Um, It's very possible. So what you'll notice is apps that support this. When you go into the task manager kind of mode of your phone, there'll be a little plus in the upper right. And that's kind of a way. So multiple windows in your scene, multiple scenes in your app can be created different ways. You, we as programmers, we can just create a new one and tell the operating system, haha, we created a new one. Or the operating system can tell you, hey, hey, you got to create a new one. And then it's your job to do that. So it can happen those multiple different directions. The user can do it or they can do it from your app. Um, I can't quite remember what the difference is between phone versus ipad the huge difference the important difference is on mac because we have all these ios apps that have just been thrown onto the mac and mac is a multi-window environment so it's kind of frustrating to have apps stuck in a single uh single environment like that something i should make clear too is you're not restrained to one kind of second window you can have multiple different kinds of scene delegates. So if I have a media app, I might have a player, uh, an audio player window versus an image viewing window. And they could be two totally different UIs for those different specific scenarios. And that would make it a good Mac app because then it could have multiple windows and you can manage it that way. That was really, really fascinating because it's not, I want to get this through, it's not multiple instances of the app. It is multiple windows of an application so like on on visual studio for mac right you can say create new instance create new instance and that's a full new instance of the application right it's not a new window in it but when we're talking about office or iCircuit or things like that right you could have calca and you could have every single file you open is in a new window of calca is that a, a yep. good explanation Yep, you got it. Um, Apple has some Hig suggestions, like even though you can have multiple types of windows, they think that each one should be able to get back to the root of your app, whatever that mm. happens to be in your app, your kind of home screen. But aside from that, there really aren't any conditions or anything like that. I had another point to make, but it, it totally slipped my mind. <laughs> um, ask another question. <laughs> well, so are you? So you said you're actively upgrading your applications. I'm, I'm looking at my apps. I'm trying to understand this. I'm trying to understand the impact that this would have, um, on, on applications. And what I'm really thinking about is like, is Apple going to enforce this at some time? That's what I'm thinking. I don't think so. Although technically the, the foreground background event things on UI application delegate, they have been labeled deprecated. So they could, in the future do it, but they're going to break every app out there. So I don't think they will. Uh, that That's what I just remembered that I wanted to add. You were asking, um, are these separate instances or not? No, this is a single instance of your application, which 
is a little funny because it's going to act like multiple instances, but it's one process, one UI thread. So you got to be, um, you know, if, if your app is a little bit UI thread hungry, <laughs> if you're not always hitting your 60 frames per second, someone could open 10 windows and now you're really going to be hurting. So it's when you say, what is the impact on your applications? Just make sure you're not doing anything on the UI thread because now you're going to be sharing it with a whole bunch of windows and things like that. So that's definitely something to be, uh, to think of with it. Will they require it? Will they require it? I mean, in some ways it supplants UI application delegate. Like you could have a single, window application and using the scene system instead of the UI delegate system. So it is possible that in the future they would do that. Yeah. Yeah. They just like move all of the events from app delegate into the scene delegate. And they're like, Hey, yeah, this is the thing. You know, you may never have multiple scenes, but like this is how we're going to control it and remove that other thing. Yeah. And now the, the tricky parts with it are your restoration stuff because if you're like me you're used to restoring one workspace basically what was the last file they had open or i don't know what was the last item they were looking at now when you do your restoration stuff and this is either a custom code that you write or you opt into apple's restoration logic kind of stuff uh, I have to think through, oh, golly, I can't just use James's setting app, settings app and say this is the last file I had open. Now I have to uh, I have to mm. have like a dictionary of or, of scene names and then restore all those scenes when the app comes back up. Imagine if uh, the user had eight scenes open, they hit a bug in your code, the app crashes, they reload the app, and now all eight of those windows are gone. That's just not. A good app mm. so gonna have to look into your restoration logic and along those lines there is um what's what's the magic technology um that makes uh max talk to ios devices through ui user activity handoff. event handoff yeah so if you have an app that's running on the Mac and a run app that's running on your phone or something, you're probably going to want to make handoff work. And handoff is it handoff shares the same technologies for restoration as these scenes do. So it's kind of like you need to opt into that whole system and then base your app around that for the full Maciness. <laughs> For the full name, I remember back in my day, Frank, when all I had was a 320 by 480 pixel oh God, display that i had to hard code values for i miss it i miss it so much why, why it's why it, i love the iphone because so complex like here's some pixels put some boxes in there have fun and then submit it to the store maybe put a screenshot in did they even require screenshots i don't remember yeah. <laughs> oh maybe yeah. they, they're just like just give us a name I, I i i will say i have been having a lot of fun building mac applications with xamarin forms and it's a very box it's very you know i literally have a hard-coded height and width of the application you can't make it bigger you can't make it smaller uh, because i'm treating it i'm treating it like a mobile app and i'm I'm very happy with that and i ran into a bug in which i my, gave my ui i was i was i was my my window is too small and my padding was too big so the buttons were getting way too small and they were like shrinking down when you would like click on a button <laughs> but uh because i was displaying other text but you know, I, I really enjoy 
I, I enjoy simple apps, right? I enjoy coding simple apps because I'm not doing this 100% for a living. Like you, Frank, would make these beautiful applications where you are doing it for a living, where you have to think about these things. So I am not envious of you and all this complexity. <laughs> However, I do like what Apple's doing here, which is slowly and surely trying to blend in functionality into iPad OS that will make Mac applications better. Because I do think in the future, there's going to be more and more Mac applications that are just project catalysts and M1 applications at the end of the day. So they have to add these features, right? I think you're going to see less and less AppKit, no, AppKit, AppKit, and more and more UIKit applications on the Mac, right? It's just going to be how it is. And like you said earlier, a good Mac application does these things. So they're going to have to bring it in, but there has to be incentive, right? There has to be incentive to the iOS and iPad OS developer. And hopefully those operating systems can fit up a little bit. And, but I always, I always think these advanced features is, can you get the majority of the developers using these features, right? Can you get the 50, 60, 70% of people using this new feature to make it so the operating system feels alive and it feels like these applications were built for. And it's always the struggle of adding new features after, right? We have seen this all the time with Samsung devices or a lot of these new dual screen devices from you know Samsung and even at Microsoft with the Duo, right? You have to add these features or a touchscreen um, with uh, you know different um, um, styluses and multi-windowing and things like this is you have to add it into your application and it's a support matrix, right? Now you got to support many, many more things in your application. And, you know, I think the thing that I'm going to keep talking here, which is I, I got it. I had to tell myself that I'm going to keep talking just so, so, so you <laughs> knew I was going to keep talking, but you know, the thing that really got me into mobile development back 10 plus years ago, uh, was the ability to craft inside of this box that was limited, but not a hundred percent restricted, right? You could do a lot of things in this box that your users weren't expecting more of right? You can't just like span your iOS iPhone application across multiple displays and do this. Like on a windows machine and a Mac machine, you have all this real estate, but you're restricted in the real estate. And I thought that was the beauty of it is this restriction of real estate that had to really make you think of how you're laying down your controls and what your user experience is. And coming from the printer industry before that, where we would just throw up new dialogues and all these crazy controls and just, you were just you know doing all sorts of stuff. It was really invigorating to have this, you know, I'm not going to say sandbox, but this restrictive box and, and device that I could craft this really cool experience for. And we've talked about in the podcast and I sound like an old cranky old guy, <laughs> but you know, I'm turning 30, Five, 30, 35. So I guess, you know, I'm, I'm getting there and I like the potential of this unlocks, but I think it makes it hard for the independent developer to really optimize and crack the code. How are we going to do that? How are you and I going to sit down and do this? I know it's your living and you're doing this in your applications, but it seems like it's a larger and larger support matrix that makes it complicated to, to really do it in all the applications. 
okay, you got like four different topics in there. Let me try to remember them. (laughs) That's what I do, Frank. That's what I do. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um, Support matrix. Okay. Let me start with that one. I don't think it's going to be so bad for Greenfield apps. I think all our file new templates are going to, instead of having a UI app, it'll still have a UI. That's still required, I should say. You still have one. It's just its role is minimal now. Instead, you'll have the UI scene delegate and our file new projects will be like that. And it's just how the world works. But I completely agree with you on the constraints breed uh, creativity kind of argument. We had a little box to fill in. It was inspiring in its simplicity. It was inspiring in what they were asking you to do. It made you think as a designer about optimizing workflows, about really thinking about what you were trying to achieve and not just presenting, here's a whole bunch of junk, but presenting like, well, a stuff people would be interested in and contextually aware stuff and animations. So you can see the correlation between those kinds of things. But um, in this case, this is a feature that is benefiting a lot of my apps in particular. So just going to continuous for a moment, because I'm stuck in that one little rectangle, I had to do a weird kind of solution explorer. I think continuous is an IDE. If you've ever used an IDE, you know what it's like. (laughs) I just tried, I've tried to make it a lot like how Visual Studio works. And As you know, Visual Studio, you have one solution open at a time. Mm -hmm. And if you want multiple solutions, you need multiple instances of VS, or I think on Mac, no, on Mac, you would still do multiple instances usually. They can technically, you can technically open multiple solutions, but no one does it. (laughs) You want multiple windows. Um, Now that the M1 is out, Continuous runs on a Mac, and I want to make sure it runs well on a Mac, and it'll be nice to have proper solution explorers so what i have in the app right now is you can open multiple solutions and it's a little bit weird because like no .NET developer is accustomed to that they're open they're accustomed to one window one solution kind of setup and now yeah. i'll finally be able to give that to the app so while constraints breed creativity constraints also breed weirdness <laughs> and things people aren't comfortable with. So I'm really excited to be able to make the app a little more standard, the, a little more the way people would expect a, like a Visual Studio type app to work. Yeah. And I guess if you got really crazy, you could have a single code file pop out into a new window and then kind of like Visual Studio does, right? And then it floats yeah. into the ether and then you could put that on one monitor and the other monitor is like the full solution. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm going even further than that. If you open a script, I'm going to present a slightly different UI. You know, there's no reason I need to show you a solution explorer and things like that. So with a multiple window setup, I can actually be a little more creative and give you a little more custom tailored experience for exactly what you've opened within the app. That's cool. That's cool. I mean, I'm excited for this. I don't understand it yet. And I think because I live in this magical world of this, but I remember seeing on the .NET MAUI um, GitHub that it said it was going to support a multi-window and I didn't know what that meant. And then when somebody asked me about this today, this is, you know, top of minds, half of of our podcasts are top of mind. I was like, I don't understand any of this. And I only know one person that knows any of this. And now I know what they're talking about. So I bet the default templates for .NET Maui this fall winter are going to, Mm -hmm. and I bet they're upgrading it from app delegate to support this thing, which is very, very fascinating. 
and I should say, Xamarin Forms already supports this. So mm. the kind of apps that are going to be hard to port over if you have an older app are the ones that I used to write where I put tons of code into the app delegate. Like that was my, oh. <laughs> that's where I put all my statics. That's where I put all my random junk functions. I didn't know where else to put them. That's where I did gross things like inspect the view hierarchy to find out what the topmost window and things like that. That kind of code, not going to work. <laughs> You're going to have to throw that kind of stuff hmm. away. But if you've been a more disciplined iOS developer where your view controller and your view controller hierarchy is doing the majority of the work, then you're going to be fine because you're just going to put another root view controller on the other scene. Instead of just having the one window, you'll have another window. No biggie. And if you're doing Xamarin Forms, same thing. You'll just put a page on that other window. So while Xamarin Forms was never designed for multi-window, Apple didn't break how UIKit works. It's just a new API, and you can do this with your Forms app today if you wanted to. You would probably have to um, either get rid of the built-in Xamarin Forms app delegate or just override a whole bunch of parts of it, you know? Um, but I generally don't even use the Xamarin Forms app delegate, so what else? Tear that thing out. <laughs> it's not needed. <laughs> Interesting. I'm. I want to see how you do that one day, but I think that'll be for another episode. I, I am excited. I've been getting more and more into the .NET Maui world. Obviously, as we start to approach spring, summer, into the fall, everything is going to happen very quick this year. I think as we lead up to .NET six, which I'm I'm ever excited for. I believe that the more I play around with .NET five, I play around some of this new technology that's coming out inside of. Um, iOS and Android that I definitely want to um, just get all this good stuff. And yeah. I want all the hard work to be done for me. Thanks, Xamarin Forms team. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous for this summer because if we have an Apple beta and a .NET beta, that's going to be rough. I'm actually kind of hoping the .NET one gets like postponed to like November because I really don't need two beta things happening at the same time. So, uh, hey, .NET team, feel free to not release this summer, honestly. But I'm, I'm excited for the future, too. I just, I hate two betas. <laughs> beta summer. It's coming. All the betas, all the time. Oh, Frank, gosh. I hope you're ready for it. It's happening. My poor little heart. It's all happening. <laughs> <laughs> .NET 6 is going to be really oh, exciting, goodness. though. The problem is .NET 6 is so huge, so I'm sure we'll be talking about it for the next year, but um, it's shaping up to be huge. Yes. Well, especially for us Xamarin developers, you know, I think that's the one thing is people were like, oh, I'm kind of, you know, disappointed a little bit that Xamarin and, you know, .NET Maui also is kind of not coming in .NET 5, but it's coming in .NET 6. And I'm like, I'm actually super happy because I got a whole nother year to... <laughs> wait on this stuff you know and <laughs> and uh figure it out later so i don't know i'm happy about it but um that's the that's the you know james inside <laughs> of me i guess but i am excited for donna because i will say this there is something to file new donnet 5 and just like all of the features are lit, lit up like all the donnet all the c-sharp 9 features all the donnet 5 features yeah. like everything's lit up for you and i'm really excited about that is that i don't have to hack up you know cs proj or whatever to get things working it just will work and then really when i look at donna six and this is a whole other episode is from there on all the workloads are basically included so everything is just going to get updated at the same time that's exciting yeah 
yeah, I think it's that reason that we're all going to suffer through the betas because we all see the light at the end of the tunnel and we're like, yes, yes, unification, unification, good. We will get through this, uh, put on our big boy shoes and get through it somehow. <laughs> yeah. Well, let us know if you've updated to Scene Delegate or if you even knew anything about Scene Delegate at all. Head to mergeconflict.fm. There's a contact button up there. That's a direct email. You can tweet at us or you can hop in our Discord, which is super fun. We've been active in there, listening to what everyone has been chatting about and chatting back as well. Now, don't forget, um, we have a bunch of new Patreon subscribers. And one, thank you so much for all of our new subscribers in the last few weeks since we've been promoting it. I want to let everybody know that we are releasing weekly bonus episodes every single week on our Patreon. And additionally, new episodes drop on Patreon first. Not exclusive, but first. Bonus episodes, exclusive. Every single episode early. As soon as I'm done editing it, that is when I publish it to Patreon and then schedule it for Monday at minute. So if you want to get your podcast early, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash mergeconflict.fm or just hit that Patreon button at the top of mergeconflict.fm. All the information is there. But that is going to do it for this week's Merge Conflict. So until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace.